1: Hello, it's New Year's Eve, and if you're not going out raving tonight, why not? I'm Andrew Harrison with the last of our festive mini-series of episodes you might have missed, Bunker Gold. Today, here's Alex Andreo, plus guests, with a celebration of clubs and dancing, and a look at why we need to preserve them. The Bunker is back on Tuesday the 3rd of January with brand new episodes, so Happy New Year and have a great time tonight whatever you're doing. Now from June 2021, here's Disco return where Britain needs nightclubs.
2: Hello and welcome to The Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. It has become almost de to assess the economic impact of the closure of parts of the hospitality industry. Assessing the cultural impact, however, has been largely limited to the closure of theatres and museums. But there is more to culture. No one looks back on their life and remembers the nights they got plenty of sleep, or so the saying goes. Clubbing has been a part of our society's fabric, arguably since ancient Greeks decided that a good way to honour Dionysus was to get very drunk, very high and jump around to the tune of Corybantis banging their swords on their shields, but probably way before that. To explore the importance of nightclubs to the UK today and the cultural scarring that might be left by the speakers going silent for over a year, I have not one, not two, but three excellent guests, a veritable rave. Mary McKenzie is a Research Fellow in Cultural History at the Glasgow School of Art and helped curate the touring show Night Fever Designing Club Culture on at the v Dundee until January 2022. Welcome, Mary.
3: Hello, lovely to meet you.
2: My second guest is Bay Sisupan, who heads events at Village Underground and Earth and also manages memberships at the Nighttime Industry Association, which has been working with hospitality businesses in the UK at the sharp end of the lockdown. Welcome, Bay.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: And last, but by no means least, I have Mark Wood, a.k.a. Chelsea Kelsey, who is one half of the Reader's Wives, otherwise known as the London Reader's Wives, DJing at my beloved Ducky for longer than I care to remember or admit, Britain's longest-running queer club night, which has run at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern every Saturday since 1995. Welcome, Mark.
4: Well, thank you very much for having me. (laughs)
2: Today is an emotional day for me anyway. It's the expiry of my automatic rights as a citizen in the country. I have called my home for over 30 years. I am now reliant on politicians' promises and Home Office policies, not the best position in which to be. And consequently, my mind is full of a reassessment of past decisions. I'm a little bit like a jilted lover in full, I gave you the best years of my life mode. In thinking about this podcast, I was amazed, looking back, at how prominent a reason I decided to move to London aged 18, the clubbing scene was. Mary, does that make me a flake? Or do we underestimate just how vital nightclubs are to our lives and the extent to which they form our young selves?
3: Well, the cultural importance of nightclubs is profound, so you're definitely not a flake. On a broad level, the creative outputs that are associated with nightlife, they have an impact on the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, and the design of our public and private spaces. And on a more social and individual level, it's where we meet our partners, our friends, experiment with and discover our tastes and behaviours. But I think one of the most important functions of nightlife, though, and this is something that's been brought into sharp focus over the past year, is the way in which they act as a forum for the pursuit and fulfilment of pleasure, which is such a vital part of our lives and something that we've really been missing over the last year.
2: Thinking about the space of the nightclub, it occurs to me that the transition from dance hall to discotheque, effectively, is the fact that you don't need a dance partner to have fun at a discotheque. They're spaces that are designed to be enjoyed with company, but also alone.
3: Yes, it was an act of liberation, I suppose, the development of disco. And that reflects broader social changes around the idea of heterosexual relationships and women going out into the nightclubs and dancing on their own as well.
2: I've also been thinking about the transition from, you know, my first nightclubs of the 80s and 90s, shiny with mirrors everywhere, to the sort of non-reflective black paint dungeons that became the clubs of the 90s. And I always thought that one was about showing off and the other one was about feeling safe. But maybe they're not. Are they maybe both just different ways of getting lost? They
3: both provide a forum for acts of commune with like-minded people. I think as well what was interesting in that transition musically from the end of the 80s to the early 90s is that a lot of those shiny discos then became host to music that would typically have been in those more anonymous spaces. And I love that crossing of cultures, especially mm. in small towns around Scotland. There were no bunkers for techno. You know, it would be in the local nightclub. And all the nightclubs had these wildly aspirational names that I love. So Shampers, or <laughs> Toffs, or Jackie O's. Robert Jackie O's. O's.
2: <laughs> I, I love the idea of Jackie O's being aspirational. <laughs> well, <laughs> I
4: was in Cotardie with my husband last week, at and Night probably went, that used to be Jackie O's.
2: But the names are
3: so profound. And the idea that a nightclub in Clydebank is called Toffs,
2: <laughs> um, <beautiful. laughs> Mark. What is your first memory of a nightclub?
4: My first memory of a nightclub was the Black Cap in Camden, uh, and interestingly, it was uh, it was obviously a nightclub, famous nightclub, now no longer with us. But they used to do a nightclub on a Sunday lunchtime where they had drag and they had disco. So we were kind of alternative sort of arty goth kids, you know, we used to come up to Camden Market on a Sunday to buy, I don't know, leather trousers or, you know, like rubber T-shirts or whatever. <laughs> and and one of our friends that ran a store went, you're coming down the black cap, it's opening at one o'clock. So we went in and I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe people were allowed to do this at lunchtime. Sunday lunch was people, you know, rushing around, you know, boiling sprouts. You know, that's what I understood Sunday lunch. Mm. Here were people. You know, like disco doctor pointer sisters and Doctor Beat, and you know, blaring out music. And then there was a drag act on the stage. Boys were kissing boys. You know, there were uh, drag queens running around, running amok all over the place. I mean, the, it literally blew my mind. I was. I remember clutching this. Echo and the Bunny Men seven inch singles I just bought uh, <laughs> <laughs> in a corner with with my mates, my, my sort of we were only 16 or 17. You know, we were underage, you know, drinking lager and blackcurrant, you know, and uh, just thinking, I want this. You know, this is this is it. You know, this is it. it 1984, I think.
2: My early years, well, actually, my entire adult life can basically be divided into clubbing periods. So I had basically my Vauxhall Tavern, Two Brewers, Market Tavern years, then my Heaven years, then my Trade years, my London Apprentice Central Station years my no clubbing years, my I'm too old for clubbing period, (laughs) and then back to the Vauxhall Tavern (laughs) where it all began for my, you know, growing old disgracefully period. How did you end up, instead of tracking that sort of progression as a punter, to deciding I want to be part of the provision of uh, a club night?
4: Well, it I wasn't a conscious decision because Ducky came along at a time when there was a club in London called Pop Stars. I don't know if you remember that famous Indian club. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, you know, London was very exciting. There was a lot of choice in straight clubbing, not so much choice if you wanted to go to a gay club. And uh, Mark uh, Jelly, my best friend, who's my DJ partner, we were going to places to see... I don't know, John Please Women at Club UK, you know, we were going to the end, you know, we were going to a lot of Mm. uh, house nights, but, but starting to get a little bit tired of it, you know, starting to scene was changing, it was becoming much more superstar DJ. And when we were approached to do Ducky, uh, we just kind of, didn't want to do it because it meant standing up for five hours that's what i remember (laughs) Um, but we we had quite a lot of records you know and the the brief for, for, for the ducky night was look it's it's going to be four weeks you just take a bunch of records you'd be playing if you were having a house party um you know it's not like a great big flash superstar dj evening so we took a bunch of seven inch singles you know some motown singles and some indie singles and some electronic pop and some david bowie records and just but literally bunged them into a beer crate and you know that's uh, you know it was it was four weeks i always say you know we didn't we didn't actually make a decision four weeks got extended and it still feels really <laughs> like someone could take it away from us at any time yes. you
2: know? 25 years later um yes. bay um what's your first memory of clubbing <laughs> obviously a lot a lot more recent i, I should think
1: A little bit more recent. I um, I do. I do remember going to turn mills. I remember the closing parties they had um, of a week long stretch.
2: I think I remember the opening party. Me
1: too. Oh no, no. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I remember it. It's 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 very imprinted in my mind. You know, I saw Boy George there. I saw loads of people there. I think at the beginning of my clubbing. Uh, I, I was, was going to say clubbing career, but my clubbing experience. <laughs> it was kind of South London, your SE one, and yeah, just going to all these dark and very uh, packed raves, uh, meeting mm. new people, making friends. Some friends that I've held for many, many years now, and you know, we still work in the industry, and yeah, just creating memorable moments um, that you just are life experiences that you'll never forget.
2: And and some friends. I call them friends, but they're just people you see sort of regularly on the club scene and you have a dance together. Much of the time you don't even know their names, but, but you have a real sort of connection with them. Bay, you do uh, a lot of work for the Nighttime Industries Association. The, the shock the sector has suffered is catastrophic. There's no two ways about it. But I sense an assumption by the government that it is entirely demand-driven and will simply instantly bounce back because people will want to go out clubbing. Is that right or is it a bit naive?
1: I'm a, uh, it's 50-50 with me. I do sense there is a demand for it. You know, we saw it when there was a spike in illegal raves. We saw uh, the protests that happened in London over the weekend. People just want to go out and enjoy themselves and, you know, and dance. But at the same time, you will have some individuals or some groups of people that, you know, are a little bit more careful, want to take consideration, you know, what COVID does present to us on a day to day basis. But I think collectively, if venues work together, they're keeping everyone safe, there should be a safe environment for people to go out, enjoy themselves and be happy. I think Murray um kind of touched base on it where, It's culture, it's mental health. You know, I met my wife working in a nighttime economy trade. And, yeah, I think it's a very important aspect to life to be able to go Mm. and, and, you know, let some steam off, have a dance and enjoy yourself.
2: Yeah. Mary. historically, once spaces have been converted to something other than a nightclub, Mm -hmm. do they go back? So is is clubbing a sort of constant or is it a sector that can expand and contract quite considerably?
3: I think there are different trends for the type of clubbing and socialising we do, but that desire and that quest for going out and having that act of com- commune with others is a long-standing thing. You touched upon it when you were talking about the ancient Greeks. It mm. has throughout society. Obviously, there are periods, say, the rise of the Christian West or something where the idea of licentious behaviour became, you know, looked upon very dimly. But then there, that need for pleasure finds a route. There's always a route to it and people always have that desire for it.
2: Hmm. Mark, what about clubs as places of expression of identities, you know, of finding other members of your tribe, of being therapeutic spaces where someone can go a little bit crazy in safety what about the loss of those sort of intangibles you know what about you know someone i guess who wants to explore an lgbtq plus identity or explore a fetish or something during this last 18 months i mean there would have been nowhere for them to do that
4: Uh, yeah completely and i mean uh, you're, you're damn right you do find your your tribe at your favorite nightclubs you know that's where you know a, a lot of a lot of our regulars you know they live on their own you know and and you know with working from home and not nowhere to go on saturday night you know i've i've heard some you know pretty heartbreaking experiences of people that haven't seen anybody for 3 months you know anybody that they know and losing that saturday night thing. you you mentioned the word intangible there alex which i think is really an important word is because Nobody, it seems, at sort of government level or administration, administrative level sort of seems to be able to value that stuff because it is intangible. We we feel it's important, but mm. you can't measure it. So, you know, I'm, I, I've been making the joke for a year now. It's like, uh, forget about, you know, when can we send the kids back to school? When can we send the gays back to the clubs? You know, because... <laughs> Uh, you know it's to me to some people to some of the people i know it's
2: important i think it's important actually in terms of physical health as well because you know being stuck at home going out and dancing for a few hours is a not inconsiderable physical activity for someone you know that's slightly older marie um, on on this point on the on the club as a place of sort of tribal identity. The exhibition actively tries to track that, doesn't it? In
3: part, it's arranged historically, geographically, and the part that I curated looks at the history of Scottish nightlife. The thing I've noticed, I've lived in Glasgow and London, and the thing that I've noticed in Glasgow, it's not quite as tribal. There's a lot more mixing between the clubs. That could be because there aren't as many of them. They each have their own identity, but there is a lot more mixing between different age groups, different types of people and different musical genres within the clubs in Glasgow.
2: Is that a little bit healthier, do you think? Is is that slightly less ghettoizing?
3: Well, it's born of necessity hmm. because like I said, there aren't as many places. Yeah, yeah. And there is When I was looking back in the history of Scottish nightlife, I tried to define what was unique about it. You know, people go out everywhere, they listen to the same music everywhere, but what was unique about Scotland? And for want of a better term, they're really up for it. And, (laughs) um, you know, they would dance to the beat of a swinging gate. So that sort of desire to be be around other people and be convivial, I think it impacts upon the the way the clubs are operated here.
2: Bay, what about younger people? All right. I I mean, I face a sort of temporary suspension of my growing old disgracefully phase, like I said. But 18-year-olds, I mean, they've lost a core clubbing year. I'm not even being funny. That is like a core youth year, a core activity that they will never get back. What What's the impact of that, do you think?
1: No, and I totally agree. I remember... I went to Bristol for university at the age of 18 and that really, really opened my eyes out to the clubbing scene. There were a lot more independent clubs out there. There were more choice out there. You know, the music selection was insane. And yeah, I think it's, I think they're definitely missing out on an opportunity to explore new things, new music, meeting new people, creating, you know, uh, experiences. And, you know, I think that definitely for, you know, students who are, you know, maybe going to a different city, they're missing the opportunity to explore. You know, it's not a great thing to experience at that age. You know, it's 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 a time of your life where you want to be able to go out there and see what life is about, see what you like, see what you don't like. Um and yeah, go out and get this experience really.
2: And I mean, sorry to be coarse, but also get laid. Yes. Um because yes. you know, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a whole sort of mini generation coming through now that only know how to make contact through a dating app.
1: That is very true. So lucky or not lucky enough that I I didn't experience a dating app um but I've just had recently had a baby he's 18 months and I don't think he's gonna be able to have the experiences that I had in a club or a bar um because things are just changing and yeah I think he might be stuck behind a mobile phone or you know any interactive experience rather mm. than actually going out and you know having these um, experiences i actually saw a very interesting post that fabric did where they're banning mobile phones or photography or 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 recording on on the dance floor which i think is great you know to be in the moment to just you know just experience what what's happening in front of you rather than trying to capture it looking at your experience through a screen to share on social media
0: you know it's fantastic you know um, i
1: think it's a great incentive
2: I think they should extend that to gigs of all kinds, actually.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Marie, you thought you might escape, but I'm going to ask you, what is your first memory of a nightclub? And in fairness, I will give you mine in return.
3: Okay, deal. Um, So I come from small town Scotland, a town called Stranraer, which is southwest Scotland, a population of about 10,000. So, my club, first clubbing experience was a <laughs> local discotheque called Benson's. And I remember walking in. It was about. Oh, 8:00 open
2: 8:00. every night or just weekends?
3: I might have had functions on during the week, you know, like. Right, right, in right. Their Dances and whatnot. But um, I went in and I just remember feeling like I'd arrived. It's ludicrous now when I think back to that nightclub, but I felt like I was in the right place at the right time. And I couldn't understand why anyone would stay in. I just thought anyone that stayed in was absolutely you know, insane. Mm -hmm. And
2: and what sort of tunes did you love to dance to?
3: At that time, it would have been across disco and pop, but then 88 Acid House started creeping into small town Scotland. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, Transition on the dance floor, they would be playing Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart, and then it would go into Acid. And, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we had to cater to everybody, I suppose. And the DJ was dying to play these new tunes, so you'd get different people going on to the dance floor at different points of the evening. And then in 1990, I moved to Glasgow, which was the City of Culture year. All of the clubs were open till five in the morning, and I remember going to the sub club in the tunnel, and my mind was blown. Uh-huh. I absolutely
2: adored it. Can I tell you that if you'd like that sort of transition from Masset House to Total Eclipse of the Heart, it can still be found at Ducky. Yes. Um, well.
4: <laughs> I really didn't want to interrupt, but I thought... <laughs> so, my kind of club.
2: <laughs> I'll give you mine. So my mother had this sort of weird catch-all, Expression to express moral decay in her children, and and basically every time if my sister put on some mind liner, then my mother would say, "Next thing you know, you'll be dancing on the tables at Pieros." <laughs> <laughs> so I anything you did if you wore if you wore trousers that were the the sort of three quarters length, the reaction would be, "Next thing you'll be dancing on the tables at Pieros." <laughs> so. Uh, Piero's being a particular den of iniquity in, in, <laughs> in, in on the island of Mykonos. And so, of course, as soon as I was 17, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was desperate to, to go and dance on the tables at Piero's. And I did. I was dancing to Moricantes Yeke Yeke. I was throwing around my head and my hands with such abandon that I ended up with a pinched neck nerve unable to turn my head to the right at all for about three weeks (laughs) so to this day i believe that my mother is a witch um (laughs) bay if there were one thing you could ask the government for the sector right now and in the short term what would it be? Would it be relaxing the music licensing laws, or what? What would help the industry sort of get back up on its feet?
1: The main thing I want is clarity on on the process of what we can do moving forward. Um, you know, with my work with the NTIA, I speak to so many different venues and businesses across the country that you know the lack of clarity throughout the whole of this pandemic has been not enough. For them to not only plan what they're going to do, to uh, react, you know, people, there was a period where you know pubs and restaurants were open, Mm -hmm. but due to lack of clarity, they weren't able to plan properly. So they ended up spending X amount of money to make sure they can be open to you know to give their patrons what they want to come out for a pint or you know or get a meal, but. The next week they were shut, so they spent all this money, all this, all this power, and all this uh, energy to, to try be to reopen. exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're shut. So it's it's clarity, it's a clear roadmap, and that's something the that NTIA have, have been doing, working, you know, on a task force to try and get these guidance and and these um, regulations in place to help us plan. As effectively as possible
2: is it a worry also that you know because there's been such an exodus of sort of eu27 migrants a lot of whom did work in the um in the leisure industry that because nightclubs will be the last to reopen they might end up competing for you know just staff that isn't there
1: yeah yeah and it's and you know what It's, it's it's been tough to recruit the workforce in general has 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 been hit really really hard. People have had to move back, you know, to um, other where they where they've come from in terms of European countries where they've come to London to work. Also, Brexit was a big factor to that as well. And yeah, at the moment, I was talking to one of my operations um, managers, and he was like, "Look, we have to find staff that may not have the experience to." come in and, and and you know help us survive this very tough moment for us. There is a lack of staff. A lot of people have been made redundant. The workforce has been hit. That's a very negative thing that has happened to our industry.
2: Mark, when will Ducky be back in the sweaty flesh?
4: I doubt we'll be back that first Saturday, which is the 24th, isn't it? So I think you we're looking at 31st of July, 7th of August, and I can't wait. I just love to echo what bay said there is just you know clarity from the government over over this stuff is so important it feels like clubs have literally been at the bottom of the pile of all businesses of all sectors they can make exceptions for, for football they can make exception for ascot and leaders of business but somehow you know there's no recognition about the labor force all of that stuff is just uh, extremely frustrating that yeah. you know there's a lack of perception about the value that 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 sector brings to the gaiety of the nation, but also to the kind of mental health of the nation.
2: And and is there? How can people sort of keep up with the latest news? Is there a website or a Facebook page or something? What yeah, there's a
4: there's, there's the best places. There's a brilliant Ducky website and there's a Facebook uh, group as well. So please. Uh, check out that we'll be letting you know very shortly. We're we'll talking to the venue at the moment, but I think they want to open cautiously. They're open now, by the way, for cabaret. So mm, mm.
2: But terrific, but... Ma- Marie. What's your favourite exhibit?
3: Well, it speaks back to what we were saying about young people going out. There's a film called Sub 18, and in Glasgow, late 80s through the 90s, under 18s nights were absolutely massive, and they were open from about six thirty to ten pm. Underage kids would go, have a party, and then go home. This was filmed in 1997 at the Sub Club, and it's a bunch of kids, and all they talk about is how many people they got off with that night and who they want to get off with and who they fancy. and who. They oh,
2: brilliant. Fancy.
3: And you can smell the hormones coming. <laughs> from and um, it's just, it's very sweet as well, that sort of wide-eyed excitement about going out and kissing
2: people. Which I think is built into the night in a really strange yeah. way whatever age you are
3: well that idea of dancing and romancing
2: brilliant and bay how can people get in touch with the nighttime industries association if they if they want to become members or talk to you about a, an issue they're having
1: yeah so just for, uh, go to the website. is ntia.co.uk um, follow the news and and the stuff that we're working on um, support us as much as you can you know it doesn't even have to be joining us as a member but sharing our social feeds and social posts online be a part of the community that wants to sustain the nighttime economy so we can all go out and have a good time again
2: i could talk to you about this for hours but alas our time is at an end thank you all for your time and your brilliance and where applicable your tunes thank you
4: Thank you. Thank you, Alex. So you're talking, Alex.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, remember there's a new bunker daily on Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday mornings. You'll start the week supplement on Mondays and a longer weekly full panel episode every Tuesday. So don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us. And you can also support us on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for bunker podcast Patreon. Humans senselessly long to be together says artist Wolfgang Tillmans in a Guardian interview today. We need to feel other bodies nearby. I hope the deprivation won't last much longer. We don't know what it has done to young people who can never relive being 16. Let's hope we can get on a dance floor soon. From your lips, Wolfgang, to Dionysus ears: This is Alexandreou in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alex Andreu. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofranievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Rees. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.